perinatal mental health team at Transformation Partners in Health and Care have created a series of podcasts that focus on perinatal mental health. The perinatal period is usually defined as the time between conceiving a baby and one to two years after giving birth. We know that during this time, around one in five women will experience mental health problems, which may begin in pregnancy, during or in the postnatal period. Perinatal mental health is different for everyone and people can be affected in many ways. It can often be difficult to recognise the worsening symptoms in the busy days of parenthood. Getting the right help and support is vital but we know that sometimes it can be hard to know where to find it and how to access it. We understand the importance of beginning and continuing conversations around perinatal mental health. By raising awareness of the impact that perinatal mental health problems can have for women, birthing people and their families, and also showing the effects that the right care can have, we hope that we will be able to reach more people challenge perceptions and change attitudes towards accessing help. In this episode, we are talking to Millie and Mark Richards about her journey with postpartum depression, the signs and symptoms that she pushed away and her journey to seeking help and recovery. We're also going to discuss how often people's perceptions of what mental illness is don't always align with what people experience and how it can permeate into many aspects of someone's life. We are also joined again by the lovely Chelsea. Chelsea is a mother of two young girls, a military wife, worked as a midwife for three years, and now works as a lived experience practitioner for Transformation Partners in Health and Care. And me, Megan Matheson, Strategic Communications Manager at TPHC, and mother of a little girl born during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. As you listen to our chat today, some aspects may be triggering and you may feel you identify and relate to what we are discussing and want to find some support. We encourage you to use our website to find support that is local to you. TPHC is not a crisis service and so in the first instance we would encourage you to contact your GP, midwife or local services. So welcome to Millie and her husband Mark. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Millie, I wonder if I could ask you to start with sharing a little bit about you, your family and your motherhood journey. Hi Meg, thanks so much for having us. Um, Where to begin? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So we had our first daughter Ada in 2016 much wanted baby took us a while to get pregnant um and i loved being a mum absolutely it was like the light of my life um she was a unicorn baby so she slept all the time and was just a joy to be around and i really really loved it but outside of motherhood everything else felt incredibly incredibly hard and i really struggled with um, what I now know to be maternal OCD. Uh, I had incredibly harrowing and intrusive thoughts that I might harm Ada. um, And I never spoke to Mark about that at all. And it was a really, really dark time because 
how do you tell people that you are really happy being a mum, but these thoughts are rushing through your head? Um, and I also felt incredibly overwhelmed. It wasn't about being a mum that I felt overwhelmed, but everything else. And I just assumed that that was kind of what motherhood was meant to be like. Um, or I guess like I just assumed everyone felt overwhelmed all the time, like I was. Um, then we fell pregnant the following year, so really quite quickly. Um, which initially had been our plan and I don't know I think I got second thoughts after when we found out I was pregnant and I started to have second thoughts about whether I wanted to be pregnant and those thoughts just got louder and louder and louder and I for the whole of my pregnancy regretted being pregnant which feels like just the most awful thing to say out loud. And I couldn't speak to anyone because I had so much shame associated with those thoughts and guilt because so many people around us that we loved were struggling to get pregnant. So how could I stand and say, I keep thinking that I don't want to be pregnant to people? Um, so again, I just kept those thoughts inside and just let them swirl around me feeling yeah guilty all the time um and when eventually she was born which was march 2018 the only feeling i felt after giving birth was terror absolute fear that i had made the worst mistake of my life having this baby and i We'll never forget that feeling of being sat alone in our bedroom while Mark was downstairs trying to tidy up the birth pool and make me a placenta smoothie. And being alone with this baby and just looking at her and thinking, what, what is this? What have we done? And from that point on it, it just went downhill. <sighs> I might need to take a breath. No, absolutely. Um was was um Mark, were you, did, did Millie kind of ever let you know about any of these thoughts during her pregnancy or did she, you know, just sort of go into herself and, and just keep them in her head? Were you aware of any of this? Um, hi, hi everyone. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I think I'm sure it's, it's very it's I wouldn't say it's a word, but it's trying to piece together the timelines in my head are, are quite difficult. I would yeah. say that I, it, there was no I didn't get the indication from Millie that there were any intrusive thoughts um, or anything like that, because I, I only just heard about that recently, which was, you know, um, obviously quite a lot to take in. Mm. Um, but the, I think that where we had a neighbourhood midwife service, we didn't have the, I, I, we didn't have the best support um, that that supported a a pleasant kind of birthing experience or leading up to birth, which I could imagine would be another just a, if Millie's feeling that way another trigger to to kind of pile on a, a, a mental load which 
was obviously very difficult at the time for her to 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 manage on her own so um i i'm I wasn't I wasn't aware of the degree at the time, but um, I'm just trying to remember the the time where I, one of the one of the indications that that I got was around the maternal OCD as mentioned, Millie mentioned, is that um, I just started noticing small signs of um, like Millie like cleaning out the loft, but it's not, but in a in a very kind of you know intense and um it felt like there was a, a very strong focus on on this one item that wasn't really um important with everything else that we had going on and I, I that was one of the key signs that that I felt that something wasn't right and the the behavior was very different to what what I've experienced in the past I, I yeah. do vividly remember the the whole loft cleaning thinking I... something isn't right I remember that, Mark, and I also really remember him coming home one day and I had reorganised the entire kitchen because for me, when I get those thoughts and I I use organising as a way to try to calm my mind and I remember him coming home and he, he was like, why is everything in a completely different place? And then I would lose stuff. And so that would like perpetuate this internal struggle because I would rearrange things and I would lose the things that I thought I had put in a really important place because they had so much value and I would then I would beat myself up because I would lose them and then it was a constant cycle and yeah I I I can remember being nine months pregnant in the loft thinking that if I organized the loft I would stop thinking these thoughts Mm. it's sitting here now five years later it's really hard to put put myself back in those shoes to think how extreme my behavior had become um yeah i I guess i i sorry i I was just gonna say i guess that i i have the tendency as well to like obsessively clean or tidy when when i'm under significant pressure so i guess i i probably saw that prompt a little bit from my own experience maybe um but yeah the i i'd say the internal thoughts previously but the 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 birthing experience will lead up to birth I mean we're very lucky because Millie's best friend is is a is a midwife and she's helped delivered our uh, both children which we're extremely lucky and fortunate to to have her um as a as a friend and an amazing you know um person to help deliver the babies um but yeah it was I I could imagine that that behavior um, was perpetuated by a, a a difficult birthing experience I guess yeah it was not the birth but the lead up because I, I Liz our friend amazing midwife she her and another friend they saw me two days before my due date with a planned home birth and they um, palpated my belly only to realize that Winnie had been breached was breached and no one had picked up on it so then I had to rush to hospital had to have an ECV I was being told I couldn't have my home birth you know all of these additional stresses and things were then feeding into this I shouldn't be having this baby I shouldn't be having this baby what am I doing what am I doing everything is wrong all those Um, factors were fueling fueling those thoughts even more exactly and so after um after Winnie was born 
um, you sort of, you know, you talk, you both talked um, really eloquently about the the lead up to the birth and things starting to, both of you having, you know, small signals that things weren't quite, you know, perhaps as they should be. So after Winnie was born, could you talk us through a bit about sort of what happened then and how things sort of, I guess, escalated um, in terms of, you know, the 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 way that you were thinking and, and acting and feeling? Yeah, um, that fear, feeling of fear was just, was just the strength, like the strongest emotion that I felt for the first few days. Um, but but I'd spent so many years of my life like masking my mental health struggles that I was able to kind of try and pretend and put a brave face on you know I can do this I've already had one child it will be fine I'll crack on don't worry Mark went back to work really quickly after um, she was born because he worked for himself so we didn't get paternity leave and I was like yeah I'll be fine I'll be fine but it just something just wasn't right I didn't feel right and I actually can remember saying to one of our best friends Alice like three days after the birth she was around and I said I just don't feel the same for this baby as I did for Ada it's not the same something is not right um but I, I don't know Mark if you remember this like two weeks after Winnie was born it was my birthday and you called mum my mum and said you need to come sooner and mum walked through the door and I just cried. I just said, why is this so hard? Why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? I'm not, I, I'm not enjoying this at all. It's really, really, really hard. Um, and motherhood is hard, but something was just, it was like, just something just didn't, yeah, just didn't feel right. And did anyone, did anyone else, um, say anything to your mum or your friends did they um because I remember when we had this chat before um leading up to this you uh, kind of something that you were saying a lot was that you were sort of just brushing it off saying oh I'm just tired I'm just tired um which I think you know a lot a lot of women can re relate to because you think gosh you are I'm so tired I just want some sleep I'm not quite feeling right but it's tiredness it's tiredness and I think that's that can you know you've spoken about masking your mental health struggles previously I think you know the the talk around tiredness can can be that for a lot of women it's fine I'm tired and and I think other people think oh yeah that's you know it, she's tired you know just some sleep and and she'll be okay mm. oh yeah I mean I did I just kept saying I was just really tired and when my mum was there I just sat in my bed the whole time I remember just lying in bed, watching TV, holding Winnie, crying, and mum saying, I think there's more to this than you're saying. And I said, mum, she wakes up every 45 minutes. How am I going to be any different to what I am now? I just feel absolutely exhausted. But I now know as myself now, like we had a terrible night with our eldest this week where she was up with the sickness and I kept being woken up through the night and I woke up the next day and I was like gosh I feel really tired but there weren't all of those other feelings of like panic fear incredible sadness worry you know I just felt tired so I can clearly see the difference now between how I felt then compared to that feeling of I am just exhausted um yeah emotions were really intense 
And when we talked before, Millie, and Mark, jump in as well, if you want, in this point, because I think one that really resonated with me is that transition from one to two children. And you said you, you know, although there was a little bit brewing with Ada, it was it was the masking, it was the coping. But then that switch to the second baby and that second responsibility. Um, and, you know, you said you had a lot of fears around what what could happen to her. Um, maybe if Mark says, you know, is this where you started to see a really big change where you're like, okay, we have to get help? Or was there one moment you remember sitting there, you know, I don't remember if it was your mom or Mark that said, uh, we're going to make the decision to seek out help? Um, I said, this is the bit that becomes really, really fuzzy for me. Um, I, 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 I can jump in yeah. and it will probably flush yeah, up your memory. So I carried on as I was, <laughs> still trying to pretend that everything was fine and just passing it off as being really tired. And then another two weeks went by. My mum was back down in London and it was Ada's birthday. Mark had gone to work. I had people coming over in the day and I just remember being like, I can't have people here. I don't want to be around people. I just want to be on my own. I don't want to look at my children. I can't be happy. I can't I can't be joyful in this moment because I really don't want to be here, um, which is a horrendous feeling to have for anybody. And especially when you've got these two gorgeous kids in front of you and all you want to do is run away and not be there. And that evening, my mum said, oh, she's amazing my mom she always like since we had Ada she'll always say go on off you go to the pub just take an hour you guys need some time to yourself so she said look I'll have the kids go off for dinner and we walked up to the village and sat down in a restaurant we used to go to all the time and I just looked at Mark and I said I'm not okay this isn't normal what I'm feeling I I don't know what to do um and I think that was the moment then he was like okay we've got to get we've got to get help um did any of that drug your memory marky <laughs> no it uh it definitely did i think i think the i think the dis i think that the main thing that i i think i probably had to figure out how i could be as, as supportive as i can be and try and learn on how to be rather supportive rather than trying to tell someone else who's having a hard time what to do or what to feel so i th i think from from that sense i think we we pulled in a bit of private um health care initially um which which also helped and i remember um alice's friend emily being really supportive in in that period of time because we had with winnie not sleeping it was very difficult to to get millie the support while we i i was working and then keeping um winnie entertained and and i think in the i think we sat in the car while you were getting the initial support um but yeah, i you, just you, you drove me because i i i'm really fortunate again i feel like I don't know I know I say fortunate all the time but a friend of our a friend of a friend found me in the street having gone to the GP after this conversation with Mark and I told her what had happened and that GP had said to me you'll never get help from perinatal because you're not ill enough 
um, so you need to go privately. So I walked out of this GP practice feeling really kind of defeated because I'd made this huge leap to say I feel really unwell and bumped into this friend and and that and that moment changed everything because I said to her I'm, I'm struggling and I knew she had also had a tough time the year before and she sat with me and she gave me the number for a psychiatrist she told me what I needed to do and I went home and made that call and and yeah ended up having private um being a day patient at a private psychiatric unit but that was specifically for adults only so as Mark said he had to sit in the car with Winnie I couldn't take her with me so for four weeks every day I went to the unit and someone had to have Winnie for the time I was in treatment um so yeah that I mean that in itself was incredibly hard and I talk openly about my bonding issues with her but I know that that played a huge part of it and again goes back to this whole thing of I didn't want this baby narrative that I had created in my head well she was a problem to me because I couldn't get the help that I needed because she existed and because nobody at any point despite you know openly saying I am you know I don't want to be here no one said to me oh did you know there's a mother and baby unit where you could go with your child so instead I was basically separated from her for the first you know for a whole month of her life every day for four or five hours a day um which yeah feels really disappointing now knowing what i know about everything i and, i wonder yeah. and thank Go you ahead, for, you know thank you for sharing everything that you've shared uh so far i think it's such such powerful statements and so important to have Mark's perspective as well um, and I just wondered if you could perhaps go back to the point when you were in that pub and and you said to Mark I'm I'm not okay did did you sort did that feel did you feel different after you'd kind of voiced that and then had you know made the incredibly brave step to go to the GP and it you know the GP didn't didn't quite say what perhaps he or she should have done and it wasn't the sort of the next level of support that you needed but do you feel that when once you'd kind of voiced that something you know something changed yes something did change because then because I put it out there I then felt able to tell our friends as well so I wasn't carrying it all by myself it wasn't eating away inside of me because other people finally knew how bad things actually were. Mm. Um, and as Mark said, people just were, in, our friends were incredible. You know, our best friends cooked loads of meals and came and filled our freezer. Um, Emily, who's a midwife, who's a friend of a friend, came and just sat and helped me, came with me to the private unit and looked after the baby. People would come to the, you know, friends would just come to the unit so that they could walk around a park for two hours and watching the baby, like everyone rallied around. And that that in itself made me accept what was happening because for so long, I couldn't accept it because I didn't ever comprehend or I couldn't I couldn't marry up what I have been suffering with for most of my life with mental illness because my perception of what somebody with mental illness looks like is not me and finally 
those those two things started coming together like yeah. actually this is this is something I'm going through and people accepted it and people supported us and yeah it was a big shift it was a big shift but it, it was also a really it, I didn't go from releasing it all and then feeling better I actually mm -hmm. went from releasing it to feeling so much worse because I had been carrying it for so long and there was so much that needed to come out um so it kind of like took a downward spiral before I started to get better which is where Mark got involved trying desperately to get me the support from perinatal because he could see that the issue was also kind of well it was specific to having a baby and the treatment in the private unit was more for general adults you know there was nothing specific about having a child no one else was there with a five-week-old baby I don't know if Mark realizes um something he said I, I wrote down because I just found it so powerful as as a partner so you said you just listen to her not tell her how to feel or what to do and I think Millie you and I have talked about that that feeling of of being a burden and for your husband to say that I think is so powerful because he just took what you were saying and your feelings as as fact um that yeah, is that, that is in, that is in part because I, I just didn't know what to do really <laughs> yeah um, but that if that's in, the only thing you can do I I would say you know that if if I was going to share something that big with my husband and he just, you know, if that's the only thing I needed him to do, it would be that, Mark. And that's that's what you did. And I, you know, that is part of reason women don't seek help is because, we, you know, we are supposed to love this time period. It's supposed to be great. And we don't want to burden anybody, especially our partners. So for you, even though it might have, you know, you can say you didn't know what to do, you did he did absolutely one of the most powerful kind of statements I think I've heard. So it's you should it's pat that validation. <laughs> it's that validation, isn't it? That you know, you didn't you didn't try and say, oh, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. You you know, you validated it, and I guess for both of you, you know, that was that was the next steps. And Millie, I know you say that it, you kind of you said it and you you let it out and then you know it it wasn't plain sailing by by far after that um and I wonder if you you know you feel able to talk about sort of you, you say the downward spiral but then I wonder if you know there was the what, what was maybe the start of of getting back some of what you you lost and and some of the parts of you that um you kind of ha had hidden I wonder what 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 the what things you learn as part of as part of those steps to recovery which you know as you said earlier you know when you had a tired when you were tired the other day after a terrible night you were just you recognized that that you were okay that you didn't have you weren't in the same space as you were five years ago yeah um well, one thing I also just wanted to say, which I'm really grateful to Mark for, and I think other partners could do this, is that, you know, for men, they're really good at the practical stuff, aren't they? You know, <laughs> men shy away from the emotion stuff. And and obviously, he totally embraced the fact that I was struggling. And there was a point in 
when we were going, when he was taking me to the psychiatric unit, and I said, I've made it all up. None of this is real. Turn around. He just looked at me. It's like, Mills, I'm not turning around. Like, the fact that you could even try and say this to me just reinforces why we need to get you this help. But practically, uh, he was amazing. And uh, I know not everyone can do this, but he asked his work if he could work from home. And he worked from home for two months because I was frightened to be with the children. He helped get childcare lined up. He worked with all our friends to kind of have a schedule so that people would come over and that, you know, he tried to make life feel as normal as it possibly could, given the circumstances. So things would still happen and we would do the things that we did before all of this. You know, people would come around on a Saturday evening and watch TV with me and I might not talk or I might just cry for the whole time. But I still then knew that all of these people were around me. And a lot of that was for Mark. And I think for partners, they don't necessarily know what to do. And you know, thinking about simple practical things that they can do, like he always brings me a cup of tea in the morning, like he's always brought me a cup of tea in the morning, he always cleans the kitchen in the morning so that when I get up with the kids, I'm not coming down to a mess. Like they're really simple things that you can do that just helps a partner feel supported. Um, but when it comes to kind of like the turning point, I was accepted to perinatal in the May so by this point when he was about two months after Mark had called was another thing that Mark, that I think partners can do actually is they can advocate on behalf of their partner because navigating a mental health system when you're very unwell is really hard you can barely retain any information so you might have a call with somebody and then put the phone down and have forgotten everything they said because you were so anxious that all you were thinking was I must remember what they said I must remember what they say put the phone down and it's gone so having a partner involved in those calls is really really helpful and so that's what Mark did. He rang perinatal every day and said, please help us. I'm really worried. I'm really worried. And thankfully, because of that, I got seen. Um, and once I got into the treatment with them, I mean, it wasn't a quick fix at all. And I think, you know, it probably took at least five months before I started to feel able to go about life in a way that was manageable. You know, like I, the anxiety didn't keep me stuck in the house. I could drive my car places. I didn't necessarily enjoy what I was doing because I was still feeling incredibly anxious. But as time went on, I could recognize it was anxiety and then use the coping skills that I had learned through therapy to be like, okay, this is anxiety, you can get through this, like you can get to the playground, you are going with other people, there will be, you know, you'll have friends there, there will be a benefit for doing these things rather than staying in the house, which I had done for so long. Um, yeah, it took, it, 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 it took a good year, I'd say, for me to get to a good enough place where I felt back to my old self. But then I also recognised at that point that I had been anxious for a really long time and just not known that anxiety was driving basically everything in my life. That sounds really bleak, sorry. <laughs> I 
no it doesn't sound it doesn't sound I mean <laughs> it's 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 honest and I think um a lot of a lot of people listening to this will, will appreciate you saying that and being as honest because you know Chelsea and I have, have discussed this a lot and in especially in this um this kind of sphere I think a lot of women uh do hide things away they do push them away because it's not talked about that much you know here and there it is but I think actually when you listen to someone who has you know experienced this and is talking about it so honestly about the steps that you took you know with with your husband to get help and to try and make the change is is really important to hear um and I think Chelsea is a lived experience practitioner. You would definitely sort of advocate for that. Yeah, definitely. And it, it doesn't it doesn't sound bleak to me because I I do think there's probably there's a lot of misconceptions about perinatal mental illness anyways. But then there's also misconceptions of of what it takes to get better. And I think sometimes we try one thing that doesn't work and we kind of just reflect on it that it's it's something wrong with us. Um, and to hear your journey to say, you know, no, it was it was five months till something maybe clicked and then maybe a whole year later. And I think, Millie, you said before that this, the help you got really separated the the things that, you know, were bothering you, like the anxiety from who you are as a person. Um, and I think people listening to that, you know, will appreciate that it's sometimes it is a bit of a quicker fix because, there's things you can do to immediately make yourself feel better um, in some ways, but sometimes it, it it does it does take a bit longer. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't think you sound bleak at all. I think it's a very honest conversation, and it, it it's great to hear both both of your stories through this journey. Um, yeah, and I guess if people are listening, you know, we've talked a little bit about what what partners can do for support but in the using the perinatal team but what what would you say if if people are listening and they're going to make those first kind of conversations with either their partner or a service how to broach it i think go and see someone as soon as possible because for me you know the reason it took such a long time for me to recover because I was in, in treatment for two years and you know it took me a year after when he was born before I could even start to discuss the fact that I hadn't bonded with her but if I had dealt with some of the issues I had after I had Ada or if I'd spoken out then then I it wouldn't have taken so long for me to get better it wouldn't have been such a long road so as soon as you start to have an inkling that, hang on a minute, I'm having these recurrent intrusive thoughts about whatever it might be, or my mood is really low and has been consistently now for a, you know, a good month, two months, that's the point at which to speak out because the longer you leave it, the harder it becomes, you know, the bigger the problem becomes. You know, that old thing, like a problem shared is a problem halved, like it's actually, it's actually true. And people who love you will rally round. I think the sad thing about mental illness is it does make you think you're a burden and it makes you think no one wants to hear the sadness and no one wants to hear the dark side of life. And it tricks you into thinking that you shouldn't share it. And that's what happened with me. You know, I couldn't share it because who wants to hear my, yeah, 
deepest, darkest thoughts. Um, so yeah, as soon as you start to feel wobbly, as soon as you have worries, that's the point to go and talk to your partner. Um, and to be as honest as you can as well, as scary as it feels, you know, I think there's this huge misconception and I know I held it that if you go to the doctor and you say that you're struggling with your mental health, they'll ring social services and your baby will be taken away, which is completely not the truth. Um, you know, the mother and baby units are set up to specifically keep the mum and the baby together to help, you know, recover. Um, but it can really, really hold people back. And I know for me, that was something that I just couldn't shake. I just thought, oh, God, if I tell them these thoughts I'm having, like what will happen to me? I might get I might get arrested or I don't know. Like, you know, that's what your mind plays these tricks on you. Um, so being being just honest and also, you know, as negative as social media can be, Instagram is amazing for finding information about maternal OCD or OCD, depression, anxiety, whatever mental illness or struggle you're experiencing, search on a hashtag and you will get good resources from legitimate charities and organisations that will help you kind of I don't know, identify things that you're experiencing or normalise it. Um, but yeah, speak out. Speak out as early as you can. Don't wait like I did. Don't wait to be in a crisis. Um, Mark, would you, would you, what would you say is, you know, from, from a, a male husband, partner, partner's perspective, how, how, you know, what are the, the main things that now looking back on reflecting, you think, yes that 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 helped that didn't or someone listening a partner listening um what what would you say to them I think I think going back to the point about when you when you need guidance of what you, you you're not sure what to do focusing on what you can do and and being practical um luckily I again it probably played into my own kind of coping mechanisms about trying to you know, do more task orient orientated things. And when um, Millie wasn't getting the response she needed from the service herself, I just being very blunt, I just kept on calling and saying, I'm going to keep on calling you every single day until you see my wife and I will keep on calling you. I will keep on calling you until you get seen. And I think within I think probably the first time I said that to them, um, I think they understood that I meant what I said. And that was when I think Millie was onboarded quite quickly after that, um, because I th she was saying that it, there wasn't any space available or there was they're up to capacity or the waiting list is X. And I, I just basically didn't take I, I didn't take no as an answer. I just. Um, yeah kept on going until we got the response we want which which I know isn't the greatest for the service but I can appreciate the services are under stress but um it was to to it was better I felt it was better coming from the partner because they could see it from another perspective that the behavior that Millie was um uh displaying wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't her 
so they felt that that was probably another you know piece of evidence that made her viable for for that service or they just didn't want me to call up every single day which i would have done and chelsea do you um you know in in your work have you seen similar things in in partners you know when you've when you've spoken with partners that it's that it's them saying something something isn't right she's she's not herself um does that does that help sort of piece things together yeah definitely as mark said it's it's a perspective of someone who knows the person best and is saying they aren't aren't right or they're not in the same capacity as they used to be um like millie said she even on the way to the impatient said i'm um, no i'm fine this was all a mistake um and i think we're very persuasive as women and moms when we want to be sometimes and knowing when she released all that and knowing it was going to get worse before it got better i think instantly we just pull back and say no never mind um i would just sort it myself so having a partner just do that advocating for you it takes one thing off your to-do list and it, it it also kind of says hey no you're worth it like we you are worth the help and support and we're going to rally around you and get that support for you so i think it's a powerful team if someone doesn't have that person and is advocating for themselves you know I think from this conversation, maybe just recognize as well that you are worth it and you might have to fight a bit harder, but please just go in and seek the support that's out there for yourself because it is transformative. You will look back. Um, and I think there's there's so much power in Millie's story. I know her professional and personally now, and I just couldn't be prouder of her. Like the the journey she has come on and the women and families she's supporting now are so lucky. And it comes from that real internal greatness of, of she is with us and she's here and she's a fantastic mom and um, probably wife as well. I'll take Mark's word for it. Um, but I'm just I'm so grateful that she's doing the work she's doing. Um, but it, it is a credit that she went and got that help. So it, it's just so important to go out and get that help because a lot of us are struggling in silence. That was a bit waffly, but I hope well, you got the point. I'd, I'd just say, I mean, again, I'm, I'm just inspired but and proud of, of Millie from turning what was a, a really, you know, difficult time for, for her um, and turn it, as you said, I can say it better myself, that she's she's turned that experience into a way of helping others and what she's what she's building with motherly love and um her her own journey within her her service of of providing that support to other other um people is is hugely inspiring and and um yeah i'm in awe of what how she's how she's done that really it's uh, it's amazing i think um i think the whole conversation that we've had here today is has been inspiring in terms of listening to how you both navigated this in in a really strong way and you know there were bumps in the road and it it wasn't easy and it was difficult and it was tough but the way that you two can now both reflect on what happened and recognize 
you know, where maybe, you know, things should have been done differently, but put that into a way of helping other people and changing that narrative and saying, you know, as you both have said, ask, ask for help. Don't, don't push things away. Try and face them head on as much as you can. Um, I, I don't think I know that people listening that would have, that would have really helped. And it might, it might have given someone that push, a partner or someone listening who's experiencing those things it might just give them that push um so i want to say a huge thank you to both of you for taking the time to join us to share some really raw and truthful and honest uh experiences about your life um in what is uh the the sort of third and final podcast in this series that we've been doing to raise awareness of this and speak up and help people um we will put some links uh to organizations that um you kind of have both mentioned and alluded to so that if people uh need those right now they can find them and access support but i think um millie uh and mark i think it's best to leave the the final words the final words with you well, I, I was actually just thinking, you know, not everybody has a partner. So I have or not everyone has a partner who is as open to this type of thing as Mark was. Yeah. And I and I just wanted to say, you know, it doesn't have to be your partner if you need someone to advocate for you. I've advocated on behalf of friends and I have called services for them because they didn't have anybody in their, you know, family that was able to do that so you know I know we obviously we're talking a lot as being a married couple and that's not everyone's circumstances so you know just think about who you have in your network who could help and who could advocate for you um and yeah thanks so much for having us like it's it's really important to me to share this story because like I said I just I hate the thought of anyone else ever going through it and that's why I'm doing the work I'm doing just to keep normalizing it and to make other people know they're not alone and you know it can and it does get better um so thank you for having me it can and it does get better I think those are excellent words to finish on so uh Millie Mark and Chelsea thank you very very much Thank you for having us. Thank you.